Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Because We Went to Therapy podcast. Today, we welcome back Sheikha Patel from Collaborative Insight. She last joined us on our ecotherapy episode back in June, which was one of our favorite episodes to date. So we felt like we had so much more to explore with her. So we literally, like, right after we talked to her, immediately invited her back <laughs> to talk even more about uh certain subjects and this time we are also joined by her colleague Anna Marchese which is a she's a licensed clinical social worker who specializes in trauma-informed therapy techniques along with being a yoga instructor Reiki master and so much more we plan on talking a little about cultural trauma and religious trauma and I'm really excited to dive into these topics so welcome ladies Thanks for having us. Thanks for having me back and for having Anna in this space too. We're excited to be here. Yes, absolutely. So I know last time we kind of scratched the surface of cultural trauma. We like just started to talk about it a little bit within our other conversations. And to be honest, cultural trauma and religious trauma is not something that I am super familiar with myself until we kind of got into that conversation. I started doing more research for myself. So I think it's something that is a really, really important and interesting topic. So um, I think we're going to start by talking a little bit about cultural trauma and just, you know, breaking down the definitions, the different parts of cultural trauma, how can it kind of affect different communities, things like that. So she could, do you mind giving us just like a you know, explain like I'm five, what cultural trauma is. <laughs> For sure. And I don't think I'll, I will talk to you like you're five, but I will definitely give a <laughs> breakdown of what it is. Uh, well, I will say that before I even talk about cultural trauma, I just want to give a definition of a little bit about what culture is, because I think in the context that I might reference it at times, it might be very ethnic. Uh, and so it's cultural, not just ethnic, it's any sort of community that represents someone's parts of someone's identity. And so uh, culture can look like race and ethnicity. It can also look like religion, gender and sexuality, age, generations, migration status, relationship status. So um, although sometimes I may reference culture as uh, more of an ethnic identity, I also want to be just mindful that other people may relate to culture in different ways. Um, and so cultural trauma has, I think, two parts specifically. The one that we see the most, I find, is that this the collective experiences of a community. So when we look at uh, collective trauma, we're looking at how a community has experienced trauma as a group. So this is war, genocide, racism, discrimination, some socioeconomic disadvantages. And so we're seeing that a lot right now. I find that there's a lot of groups of individuals who are feeling like there's quite a bit of collective trauma. I don't know if you guys notice that or, or see it yourselves just in the news, on social media, even ourselves. I, I feel like I can experience that in different groups that I identify with. Um, and then the second one that I think we kind of touched on last time that I find is when I connect with clients with the most in, in trauma work is how a specific community is impacted by the trauma, but then how it's internalized and it impacts a person's functioning. So norms, values, beliefs, traditions, standards that are upheld within that community and that culture. And then again, how it impacts a person's functioning and their mental health. So that's that's sort of the, the two parts of cultural trauma. And I think we'll focus on the second one a little bit more. Mm -hmm. 
it's so it's so interesting because I do a lot of acceptance and commitment therapy. So I do a lot of values work with my clients. And, it, you know, as I heard you talking about that, I was just thinking about the, the amount of times clients have all these values that they just got from their culture, um, whether that's, you know, the collective culture or the specific groups they identify with or their religion, right? And then helping them understand that just because you had those values you know, kind of put into your head doesn't mean you have to continue to live out those values if it's not serving you. And so many people have such a hard time letting go, understandably, right, but have such a hard time letting go of the values that they've been um, sort of like ingrained in their minds from oftentimes from a very young age. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, uh, it is, it's definitely challenging. And I find that that's, a part of this work, and I, I think it's also important to mention, is that when people do have cultural identity and we start talking about trauma, I think it's like we folks may assume like, well, are we talking about all the parts that are like, are, is all of my cultural trauma, is, is it traumatic or has it all been harmful? But I think there's a lot to point out and say like, well, your culture may have been protective or supportive and there are parts of your identity that you actually really appreciate because of your culture. So we're really when we're talking about the trauma piece of it, we're really looking at the parts that have been harmful or hurtful mm -hmm. and, and really have shifted the mental health part. And especially when it comes to recovery. Uh, and, and so that's, that's the part that we look at. What do we, I think we talk about values as a whole. People are like, oh no, you're going to take all of it from me because we're talking about trauma. And it's like, no, 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 there, there are some parts that you can hold on to. And that makes sense. Absolutely. And that are okay. So Sheikha, I have a question. Um, coming from somebody that's not too familiar with the cultural trauma side of things. So we see a lot on the news, you know, literally every day, just these traumatic stories about war in Ukraine and genocide from the Russians. And then it, so it would be fair to say like, that's a cultural trauma. And then also with the relocation of new immigrants from Florida up into the East Coast and things like that, that we're seeing from different governors, you know, relocating these folks. Is that also a part of cultural trauma, just having like those things inflicted on that group of people? Absolutely. There is this, uh, so currently I actually teach uh, social work with immigrants and refugees at Rutgers. And one of the, one of the big things that we talk about is this trifecta of trauma. So it's, the trauma that a, a group of people may experience in their uh, country of origin or where they are from, and then the actual process of migration and movement or, you know, even being a refugee, the, the trauma of that. And then the third part of it is the trauma of resettling um, and, you know, relocating. So I absolutely believe that those three things connect to what you're talking about. And they fit into the, the collective trauma that a group experiences. And then what individuals may experience within that. Um, mm -hmm. can relate to that mental, emotional, physical, uh, traumatizing experiences. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Because it's, you know, I'm sure it's very stressful all mentally and emotionally just to have to relocate to a different place than where you're from for whatever the reason may be. And then, you know, having the extra stress of, like violence against you or discrimination or racial hate, whatever it may be, that's, you know, that is traumatic in and of itself. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. It is. Can we get some examples of how this might be a little bit different than, um, you know, just like regular traumas that we see? 
Yeah, I will say that, you know, the, the common ones that we identify, right, are physical, emotional, sexual, uh, mental. There, there are these categories that I think we also, as I think we talked, maybe we talked about this last time we met, I think we did about how like the DSM, uh, you know, categorizes a lot of these. So if we're looking at the very DSM clinical definitions of trauma, we're going to find those. I think that when we're looking at the cultural piece of things, it's sort of woven into those other experiences. So the example that I often give is, let's say you're working with someone who has a history of uh, childhood abuse and neglect, and you're assessing their symptoms of PTSD, or you're you know, identifying different themes of trauma that they've experienced. Addressing the cultural piece of things might look like asking, how have some of the norms and practices in your cultural community reinforced, worsened, or hindered your healing with the childhood abuse and neglect. So we're really looking at that like additional layer. So we're not saying that, you know, um, you know, someone, someone may have just traumatic experiences with the norms and values and beliefs of their, the culture they identify with, but oftentimes I see it as like an additional layer that someone experiences. Um, and so it may be hard to heal and recover or find safety and support within their community because, again, of those beliefs that may be present. Yeah. It's something I see um, a lot with my clients, um, specifically looking at like cultural things, is that sometimes in boundary setting, it's really different for um, people of color to set boundaries with their parents than maybe a white person to set boundaries with their parents because of that cultural component. And um, I found that, you know, I used to be a little bit like, okay, how do I address this with my clients, you know, um, without, um, you know, just like a little bit more cautious, but now I feel like I've gotten so much positive feedback that like, you know, I'm glad that I'm able to talk about this, even if like, I don't personally understand as a white person, I'm glad I made my, you know, my clients saying they're glad they're able to talk about it because it is such a big component of, you know, I'm thinking about my Hispanic clients who, you know, if I set up, if I suggested the idea of like, maybe just, you know, setting a boundary with your mom that like, they can't tell you what, you know, what to do with your child. It's like, well, that's not really how it works or like some patriarchal norms that exist in, I mean, in most cultures, but, you know, especially in some cultures. So just found that being able to, for clients to acknowledge them, even when working with a white therapist has been really helpful. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I think that this, the shift between uh, it's actually interesting. I was just talking about this with some students this week of the difference between cultural competence and cultural humility, right? Like we, as people, we can't be fully confident. I, I mean, I can't, I can't imagine saying I'm fully competent in someone else's culture or mm-hmm. you know, even within, within my own, there's so much to learn and, and discover and explore. So this idea of being able to say like, I'm, I'm learning, I'm continuing to learn and adapt and change and shift. Uh, is is definitely the view that we're taking nowadays. So yeah, thanks for bringing that up. Mm-hmm. And I think that's such an important viewpoint to have, especially in today's society, because we just see so many people being like, oh, you know, I don't understand that. Or they see something different than them, whether it's the color of somebody's skin or their sexual orientation or their religion or their ethnicity, whatever the difference may be. And they just either don't want to say anything or they're they don't feel like they could ever relate or be on the same plane as that person which is so unfortunate and it just causes us to build these walls and i think that's what's so important is that you know you don't have to show up perfectly like especially 
I'm sure you guys see so like all three of you see so many different clients within the US, especially being telehealth and virtual health of, you know, different backgrounds. And just because you might not be the same cultural background as somebody doesn't mean that you can't still talk to them and help them as a therapist. Absolutely. Very true. Yeah, I think it usually comes in time because I know you guys like in the intake, there's usually a question about the culture. And most of the time, they're, unless they're aware of it already, like there's really not a specific cultural consideration that they're looking for, they think of. But in time, as they're building that rapport, and as you help them bring awareness to certain things, and you build that relationship, at least I find with a lot of clients down the road, then we're looking at the cultural piece of it, if they're comfortable. And if we've kind of built that rapport, and if they're bringing awareness to, oh, it's not like this for everybody or it's, right. or it's not just me like it could go either way mm -hmm. yep do you often find that clients might not even realize at first that it is a cultural thing that they're dealing with because they're just so used to it ingrained in their everyday lives or their families or their surroundings for sure i mean there are times where i feel like you know i end up working with quite a few people who identify with the south asian community or the asian community and, you know, I, I like, I kind of, I joke because I obviously have a very uh, dark sense of humor sometimes, but I say like, welcome to the brown girl curse. And they're like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, yeah, like, <laughs> welcome to talking about it. And so just like acknowledging sometimes that there is this, like, there's this bigger thing that's happening. It's not always, again, this goes back to the norms and values and traditions of these family units and not just family, but community community norms are maybe like, don't talk about those things, or it's not common to bring up that like, this feels wrong, or this doesn't feel right. Um, you know, being able to do that, I think, as a therapist, and just hold that space and be like, yeah, welcome. And, you know, like, mm -hmm. to acknowledging that this is real, and it happens, maybe not for everyone, but for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, speaking of family and community norms, um, how do you see cultural trauma passed down from, you know, generations from community to community? It's, I think that when we talk about this type of cultural trauma, we can't talk about it without the generational trauma piece. So, you know, of course, if someone's, you know, one's great grandparents do something, you know, do something or believe in something, it gets passed down to, you know, grandparents and then parents, and then of course, uh, within ourselves. And so it's really hard to say, oh, this exists in a vacuum and, you know, you've developed it all on your own. Mm -hmm. We know that generational trauma is, you know, are the experiences that our ancestors and people who have come before us have experienced, who have maybe not processed it or worked on it, healed and recovered, and how that is passed on, not just emotionally and through behaviors, but genetically as well. You know, there's a lot of research around that, that generational piece. But when I am looking specifically at the generational piece, there is this tool that uh, is really used as an assessment. It's called a culture gram. And so, you know, it, a lot of times we don't have to use all parts of it and say, hey, this your entire experience of your culture has been traumatic. But there are 10 parts. I'm not going to go into you know a lot of detail about them. But I'll just go through them briefly. The first one is the reasons for why someone might have, uh, you know, immigrated uh, or migrated. So it, whether that's from another country or within the same country, right? Like we're talking about relocation due to um, poverty, due to 
war, due to uh, experiences of neglect and abuse, like those are all reasons for why someone may move and change their physical location. The length of time in that community is important to look at, one's legal status, um, age at the time of migration, languages that are spoken at home in the community, health beliefs, celebrated holidays and special events, the impact of any crisis events, um, values regarding family and education, and then contact with cultural institutions. So when you, when, you know, as a therapist, when we're working with someone and we evaluate all those 10 parts, we may identify with the person like, oh, let's stop there and look at, let's look at how, you know, someone may have these uh, beliefs about health, for example. And, it, you know, how did your grandparents deal with something like that? How did your parents deal with something like that? So is that how you may deal with it? I think just like bringing light to those things. Again, there may be some some trauma pieces in there. I know last time when we actually met, we were talking about how uh, a lot of mental health symptoms come up psychosomatically. And I think we kind of all mm -hmm. bonded on this experience of like, well, when we were younger, we would like feel all these things and no one was like, hey, that might be your anxiety or that might be actual trauma there. So I, I think of there are often times where I'm working with a lot of people who have those psychosomatic pains. They're struggling with anxiety and mental health issues, but they're not really aware because their cultural norms are to disregard mental health issues, right? So family members and grandparents, community members, religious leaders, um, these folks may say, that's not, that's not mental health. Like that's, you know, that's something else. That's, you know, uh, your physical health that might be, you know, relating to your karma, your energy, like things that, things that might, you know, not be as accurate to what a person's going through mentally. So again, I think this trickles down generationally when people have trauma in those different categories. That's so interesting because I was actually going to ask about different cultures and just maybe their resistance to receiving mental health assistance and going to things like therapy. I know even just with different friends of mine, they're so opposed just to even the thought of going to therapy because they're like, oh, I don't need that. Or they maybe have the psychosomatic symptoms. And I'm like, you know, I think you could really benefit from this but there's just such a resistance to it and I'm sure you know as general as a society we need to work on breaking down some of those barriers but I'm sure it's even a lot stricter in some of the different cultures that you work with absolutely and how how it's um how it's perceived at different generations is also very important right so I find a lot of times in a very you know true quote, traditional family unit, there are times where, you know, a father may say like, no, we're not, this is not, this is not a mental health issue. Like this is behavioral. This is, you know, you going against the traditions, the norms and the beliefs of what we believe. Whereas, you know, one's mother might be like, hey, this, this, this looks like mental health issues. Let's get you the help. And if it's not reinforced and supported, you know, between two parents, like a child of, of that situation may have a really difficult time with understanding that. Um, so mm -hmm. I see that come up a lot and it's not just, you know, I think I use the mother and father role, but it, it can be reversed. It can be across different generations. It can be through siblings. Like, I think that that's like the really hard part is that there can be people who have like one foot outside of that circle or that bubble and trying to infiltrate it and change it. But the forces can be a lot stronger within that circle, um, mm -hmm. that limit access to care or, or care can be seen as a threat, right? Like getting therapy oh my gosh, well, what if somebody tells you like, 
that's not how it's supposed to be or yeah. you know that that does sound harmful i think that these are again help is sometimes seen as a threat in that in those situations Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And you bring up something that come I think comes up in a lot of my sessions is that what happens when someone in the family unit or like in the piece in the culture um, goes to therapy and then they're sort of like, I, I talk about it as like, like a hamster wheel, like, so if like all the hamsters are on the wheel working, and then one decides to kind of, I'm not going to do this anymore because this isn't fun. I'm not able to function in this, you know, this chaos or whatever it is that's coming up for them. And then how like lonely that can feel to be like, okay, I know that was not dysfunctional, but now I'm like, I'm on the outside and like, you know, my, my family doesn't understand that I'm trying to set boundaries or they don't understand that like I need space or they don't understand that I'm trying to break generations of trauma. And I feel like that's a piece that doesn't get talked about enough is that like, and I think you mentioned this in the last time we chatted about like kind of like leaving like the in group, whatever that in group may be for you and how challenging that can be, even though they're going to therapy, obviously is a really great thing. It can also be scary. Like you were saying, like a, a help can be, threatening because it's like, well, what happens when I am unlearning these beliefs and I am, you know, deciding that some things weren't helpful for me and or inhibiting my function. Absolutely. It's this this moment in in a lot of work that I don't know if you all experience this. I know Anna and I have connected about this of like welcome to awareness that mm-hmm. change is actually really, really tough and and as pretty as it looks and we make it to we make it out to look on social media and in the world, like everyone needs to change and can like do, breaking those generational cycles is a huge change. And it's honestly uprooting parts of ourselves out of what we've known for only years and years. I mean, if you're talking about people doing these changes in their twenties and thirties, I mean, our brains are pretty much developed around believing these things. And, um, you know, I, I'll talk about a resource later that I really enjoy, but I think it's really hard to make those changes and just acknowledging that it's scary on the other side. It's hard to, it's hard to, again, go against the in group. Um, Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I can say just from experience, it can even be really stressful. You know, if you have to cut off a family member or a friend or somebody within that in group and say, you know, this is no longer healthy for me and you can still have love for that person or those people and say, you know, I got to walk away from this. Like, this is not right. So do you often see that with clients and, you know, still kind of having that duality of wanting to stay immersed in the culture, but break away from certain habits or trends that have been hurtful to them? Absolutely. I think there's there's no right answer here, but I, I guess I have a two two parts to this is that when if I'm using that tool, for example, the culture gram and kind of assessing all these different parts of a person's identity and the group that they belong to and, they, and, and their culture specifically, I'm also assessing for how attached they want to remain to it. And, and initially, while we're processing different, t- different points in treatment, because that, that can change, but you know, some people may come in and they're like, I hate this. Like, I don't want anything to do with this anymore. I need, I need a full break. I need, like, I need to get away from it. I need to relearn and reintegrate myself. Um, and then there are people who are like, well, there are parts that are very important and I do identify with them. And so I want to be able to separate in a way where I can process and heal and recover and then reintegrate myself in a way that, that feels stable. Um, I identify with that a lot. You know, I've, I've had my own 
experiences in my cultural identity that have been highly, you know, harmful to me growing up and in my own identity. And for some time I was so in it and I had to get out of it and I had to really distance myself from it. But now I, I feel a lot of pride in my culture and my identity. And it only happened because I, I really need to take a break and observe some of the stuff that was going on. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll segue to religious trauma in a second here, but I feel like when I, when you were talking about that, that's what was coming up for me is that like a lot of times, um, and, and I'm sure you can speak more to this, like when we hear about religious trauma, it's not always like I want to let go of every part of that religion, just the harmful mm-hmm. parts. And I feel like that's like the general consensus that I'm getting from like cultural and religious trauma, even though we haven't dove into religious trauma yet, is that like, it's letting go of the harmful or the hurtful parts of the culture or the religion or whatever wasn't serving you and trying to, you know, almost like keep or reframe or do what you need to do to, to hold on to the parts that do work for you and that are important to you still. Yeah. And the image I get is just having the space to do that. Mm-hmm. And when you're not even stepping out or if you're afraid to step out and you don't even have the space to look at what's helpful, what's harmful, that hopefully therapy does that if someone's using therapy um, in that way, but just having the space to question mm-hmm. and doubt mm-hmm. <laughs> and mm-hmm. some of that. Mm-hmm. Doubt, that's such a, it's such a good word because I feel like it's so scary, but so important when you're exploring a lot of things in therapy, but I think especially mm-hmm. like different parts of your identity um, or the cultures or religions that you are a part of. So just a little bit before we segue into the religious component, Sheikh, are there different resources that you would recommend for somebody that might want to delve into um, cultural trauma or looking into cultural therapy a little bit more? Sure. I think, you know, if you are already seeing a therapist, I think, you know, bringing up some of these questions of, Hey, you know, I want to explore a little bit of my own culture and the experiences I've had. I want to explore maybe the norms, values, beliefs, traditions of the community I belong to. And I want to, I want to explore how, how, how have they potentially been harmful to me? How have they impeded on my ability to heal and recover with things I've been through? I think having those conversations in, in the safe space, and if you are already in therapy and working with a therapist uh, and you feel trust there and safety there, uh, starting that way is great. If you are looking to do that in therapy, uh, you know, finding someone that is supportive. I know, you know, Anna and I both see clients in New Jersey and North Carolina. So, you know, we're, we're open and available to do assessments and, and answer questions that people have. I will say that the resources that I actually appreciate, there are, there's, you know, a bunch of research out there and you can, you know, go ahead and put in Google collective cultural trauma and you'll find quite a bit of information there. But I have honestly learned the most from reading other people's stories and memoirs and experiences Two that I really, really appreciate is uh, the first one is Educated by Tara Westover. I don't know if you guys have mm-hmm. ever read it. But yeah, it great is, book. Uh, Mind blowing almost. There are times where I would be reading that. And although very different upbringings and very different cultures, I could relate in so many ways uh, of just, and I think that kind of goes on to, you know, Anna's topic of religious trauma, but I found that there were so many, so many parts of mental health challenges where you can identify her experience was definitely worsened by, uh, again, those norms, values, and traditions of how she was raised. And then another one that, yeah, another one that I actually really like is Permission to Come Home. 
Um, it is a, a book about reclaiming mental health as Asian American. And it's another great book about, you know, the author, she talks about her own experiences as an Asian American and just the different generational aspects of trauma that she's, rooted, that she's rooted in. And then, you know, things, again, that she wants to hold on to and appreciate while also identifying those harmful pieces. So I, I know I learn best sometimes when I relate all the clinical and all the theory and all that other stuff. So, you know, if, if you're not a clinician and you're reading, if you're listening into this and you're thinking, well, I want to kind of learn more based on that, I, I highly recommend those two books. But yeah, Educated by Tara Westover is probably one of my my all-time favorites when it comes to this kind of work. Mm -hmm. Ashley, will you put those in the show notes? So um, Yeah, absolutely. I'll provide links them. to them too. Okay. Yep, I know I read, I listened to the audio version, I believe, of Educated a couple years ago. And like you said, it's just amazing, you know, the resilience of people and what they can kind of get through and how they can, you know, just her journey of all the way from childhood to being able to recognize these harmful patterns in an adulthood and being able to reflect on them and write about them was really incredible. So great suggestions. Sure. And if anyone is ever interested in learning more about that research and talking about that, of course, I can pull up, I can talk about all the studies, but you know, um, feel free to reach out and, you know, uh, reach out to Emily and Ashley, and I'm sure they can share my contact information, or I can go ahead and share some links to some research for you all too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So we'll go ahead and kind of shift into the religious trauma aspect. So Anna, I understand that you are um, doing a lot of studies and researching more into the religious trauma. So can you kind of give us your background and how you started to dive into that yourself in your practice? Sure, I can. It's not something I necessarily kind of consciously went into doing in practice, um, but certainly just from personal life experience. Um, I, as I work with clients, I find that this just comes up as a theme. Um, and so when it's coming up in different people, um, as a theme, you know, I find that I often will connect with clients who have a similar wound. Um, and so religious trauma seems to be one of those things that I have done a lot of work on personally. I grew up um, very religious in the born again Christian faith, um, and I was a pastor's kid. So it was a lot of pressure, um, like we've kind of been talking about with culture, just from essentially from birth. Um, being born into it. And then just, that was all I knew. That was all I knew. Um, mm -hmm. And similar to what she could talked about with culture um, there, I, I had, I needed that time to kind of separate and question and explore other things. Um, and then I've also kind of come around, I won't say full circle, but I've come around to kind of find, oh, there's actually some things I really appreciate from growing up religiously. Um, and having some kind of like faith muscle to lean on sometimes when we can't explain everything. Um, but it's been, it's been a long process and it hasn't all been pretty or fun uh, or easy. So I, in finding, you know, clients who discover that and in the same way as culture, like bringing awareness to it and then kind of, as I will kind of point things out, well, this sounds a little bit like religious trauma or it sounds like we're hitting a, a barrier with setting boundaries because 
maybe there's some, you know, are there some religious things? And I'm usually just kind of curious about it. Um, and those kinds of things will come up. So I'm just kind of getting more interested in how to serve people the best way. Um, I do have a passion for spirituality, which is where I'm more comfortable these days um, than a formal religion. Um, and I find that many people who grew up in a formal religion feel, not many, but they feel similarly, um, where they'd mm -hmm. like a spiritual practice, but they don't know where to start. They don't know where to go because of the religious trauma that's not been processed yet. They haven't allowed themselves to fully look at. Mm -hmm. I could go mm -hmm. on and on, but <laughs> no, that's fascinating. And it, it's no surprise that, um, people do want some sort It's some people, not everyone, right. But want some sort of connection still, because as someone who also grew up very religious, I grew up in the Catholic church, went to Catholic school, um, mm -hmm. up until I was a teenager. Like it's even today as someone who doesn't identify as a religious person, like I cling to spirituality a lot. Like I believe in the therapy gods and just like all different sorts of things. But sometimes I will find myself like still thinking about like those beliefs that I, um, was ingrained to me, like every day of my life, right. Going to church multiple right. times a week. It's just, mm -hmm. it's crazy how similar to cultural, um, experiences, how ingrained these beliefs and how, like you said, it's not easy and it can be really scary and hard work to try and, you know, um, I wrote down what those three words you said, cause I really liked them that separate question and explore Like it can be really hard to do those three things. Yeah. And to do it within your family, because your family unit is what you do holidays with, is what you do all these things with. So how do you kind of, and a lot of holidays are often tied into religion. Um, so mm -hmm. how do you, how do you do that? Yeah. Yep. And I noticed um, a really interesting statistic that you put down in the notes is that um, I can't remember you might have to remind me what year it will be by, but the U.S. will not be, you know, a majority Christians. And I saw this on the news the other day as well. And they explained it as by like, you know, X year, it'll be less than 50% of people identify as Christians within the U.S. And that's because there are more secular foundations and institutions within the country now to be able to support our basic needs. And a lot of the religions were, you know, need, needed originally because there was poverty or because there was war going on or whatever it may be, you know, those really desperate times. I just, I never thought about it in that way before. And that was so interesting. If you could touch on that a bit. Yeah. In America, um, I don't have all the numbers, but it's, the studies are showing just a decline and probably just kind of a steady and gradual decline of people who identify as Christian, and I say Christian just because that's the majority or was the majority religion um, in the country, now consider themselves unaffiliated. Um, and certainly personally, I know lots of people in their 20s and 30s who get to that point. And I think that's where, I mean, I remember that when I was still in church in my teens and they were talking about, oh, like the young adults are leaving, leaving the church and leave, leaving the religion. And they were like worried and like, how do we, how do we get them back in? Um, and that was seen as so bad, but that's certainly in those ages, but any age are, we're seeing that experience kind of across the board. And so seeing that collective change and helping people feel less alone when they're doing it personally. Yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. Uh, 
it, it feel, that feels so hard to believe given that our country seems to be run by people who identify as Christian. And I obviously believe this statistic and I know that the people that run our country are not the majority, but it just, it feels so crazy given the state of the world right now or the U.S. right now mm -hmm. and how um, our government is being run by Christians who are making decisions that not every religion identifies with and not every person identifies with. So I feel like this is a really timely discussion given, mm -hmm. you know, the abortion bans and just everything that's happening mm -hmm. and religion being cited as the reason for said laws. Right. And there's such a history of that. I mean, in, in everything is religion being used to colonize or to have wars. And it's kind of, you know, just still going on. Um, mm -hmm. in a different way. And that makes it fearful for people to leave it even still now because of that. Um, and I think a lot of families have seen a lot of conflict, certainly in the past few years, because of the political climate and the decisions and just this polarizing experience that we seem to be having collectively. Mm -hmm. And it seems, I mean, I guess I'm only 27, so I can't say for more than 20 years, but at least in more recent elections, I think it's fair to say that it, like you said, it's gotten even more polarizing and politicians are clinging even more to like the religious aspects of, you know, the Bible says this, so this is what the law needs to be, or this is what Christians believe, so this is what the law needs to be. And I'm like, hold up, this is, no, this is not, you know, this is a secular nation. We are not founded on you know, these, you know, your beliefs within your religion. So I think you're totally right. It is very timely and it is getting more polarizing as the days go by. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And there's a lot that comes up individually for people mm -hmm. in seeing mm -hmm. that collectively. Um, and even just being able to identify, hey, that's religious trauma or cultural trauma. Um, that you're experiencing because there, you know, it does overlap a lot with PTSD. Um, but when you can put the lens of culture and or religion on it, it can really help focus in on what people are, are dealing with. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And can you, can you talk a little bit about that? Like what you see in terms of what people deal with when they um, are navigating religious trauma and potentially have PTSD or CPTSD? Sure. Um, so it can be depression, anxiety, um, grief, certainly the loss of, the loss of so social network, sorry. Um, like we're talking about kind of family, leaving the family or leaving this group that you've, you've been in and then where do you fit? Um, uh, and then there can be confusion, uh, poor critical thinking, a lot of negative beliefs about self-ability and self-worth. Um, I think worthiness and deserving comes up a lot um, because of that layer of guilt that tends to come through just in a really generalized way from from religions um, is people people feel that hit of guilt really easily. Yeah. And I think we all have a hard time letting go of that no matter where it came from. Yeah. Um, and then going deeper on things of, you know, do you feel worthy of? that thing you want, or do you feel worthy of the love in your life or finding love that you're looking for, even just for yourself, um, rather than kind of giving it out 
to other people. And so a lot of work that I've done and that I try to do with clients around just worthy worthiness and deserving for themselves um, that we can, I do lots of foundational work with people around that when we're dealing with mm-hmm. religious trauma. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the Catholic guilt, guilt and shame, as we talk about a lot yeah. is so real. Like it is Yes. wild the the guilt that can come i mean i'm talking about catholicism because that's the religion yeah. i grew up but i know it can be in other religions too but it's 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 strong and guilt is guilt is so hard to work through and then if you bring in shame when you talk about worthiness mm-hmm. and um deservingness and morality i feel like morality comes up a lot especially in those really strict uh, stricter religions yeah. mm-hmm. I see it come up very often, especially with, you know, I grew up Hindu and <clears throat> within even just other folks who have experienced Hinduism or other, like, again, those like very strict, I, I like to say like more rigid belief systems. It's, I think of like things that are, that go against like this, like fear-based, like we have like a very fear-based religious values, right? Like, well, if you do this, like you're not in line with what God wants for you, right? If you do this, and so there are things that sometimes are outside of our control, like, for example, being sexually abused, right? Like, that's, how does one process, you know, some of that that deeper stuff? And I know, like, you know, this, Anna might get into this, but it gets really hard and confusing for people, especially children and young adults, and, you know, for anyone who may go through some sort of abusive situation of, like, well, I'm feeling all of this, and I'm going through all this, and now I feel all this shame, and if I try to do something differently, then I feel guilt for it. And it just like piles on that way. I think there's so much to be said about, you know, religion and that like fear-based aspect of it that mm-hmm. people feel that guilt. Like, oh gosh, mm-hmm. I can't go against that. Mm-hmm. The good versus bad and how hard mm-hmm. that can be for mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. Right. Black and white thinking is really often seen. Like, it has to be this way or that way. I'm good or I'm bad. I did the right thing, like right, and you know, nothing certainly right and wrong is okay, but mm-hmm. the ideas of, of right and wrong, and have you ever kind of looked at that for yourself? And do you have different ideas of that now as an adult? Because you learn, we learn most of these things as a child, and mm-hmm. sometimes we're stunted from exploring any further just because, well, we learned it this way, it must be that way. Right, because it's either you're going to heaven or you're going to hell. And then when you have that morality aspect of, you know, making these decisions, especially in adolescence, it's like, how do you even come to those conclusions as an adult? And that's probably something that you, I'm assuming you see often is once you have that kind of morality and, you know, believing in going to one place or the other and, you know, add in the afterlife, it probably adds another component of, you know, spirituality and religious trauma that it's hard for people to work through. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm just, I'm just thinking about myself. And one of the things I did that got me just even on any kind of different path was yoga. And I was told growing up that yoga was evil. Like, and what I found it to be was like, whoa, I'm actually getting in touch with what I feel in my body and Mm -hmm. where and breathing through things and that i mean and that was profound because i i think part of it is my personality and i can tend to be really cerebral so the way i kind the way that i received religion growing up i did a lot of that well black and white and this and that and i'm just going to try to be as good as i can 
that's what we're supposed to do. And just a lot of service. And again, I love service. Like I went into the mental health field because I love it. Um, but it was like over overkill and it was very little bit about me and myself. Um, so in doing some of that work and getting in touch with my body, getting in touch with my breath, um, or how, how do I feel about something? Not just what was I told to feel about it. Um, and just, I mean, years, years of work Mm -hmm. in there, probably a lifetime, um, that's there, but that can be for people. Yeah, absolutely. And I thought it was really interesting where you answered my question on the note saying that, you know, this can happen with absolutely any religion because I naively was thinking it was maybe more prominent in like the stricter religions. Like we kind of talked about whether it be Catholicism or now earlier this year, I really got into the show sister wives for whatever reason, I just really needed content. So I just, I was watching it. And of course, you know, the, that sort of, you know, sect of Mormonism is really, really strict. So I saw how Mm -hmm. they were dealing with that and passing those beliefs on to their children and polygamy and how some of the children are breaking out and saying, you know, I don't want this life. I don't want to do this. I want to be able to drink. I want to have one spouse. I want to, you know, move away from the family. So I just naively assumed that maybe it was just the stricter religions that maybe you're a little bit more isolated and more so, you know, going to school with that group, going to church with that group, like that's your entire social network, but it could happen to anybody. Yeah, it can. I mean, I've had, I've had friends who know me as an adult, like kind of joke about like, I don't know, they'll they'll be like, Oh, did you see that movie? And I'm like, no. And the joke became, I've never seen the movie. I don't know cultural references. (laughs) (laughs) The nineties and two thousands until I just like got into it stuff um so i mean obviously the answer is always like it depends um and it might i i can only speak from what my ideas of what the stricter religions are and i guess that's just a a subjective word Mm -hmm. um so hard to say like mine felt strict but mine was you know also the the mainstream like cultural thing so i you know it was accepted just by being a christian just because that was you know that was the majority religion mm-hmm. um, for a while, but and uh, my I'm wondering how much they're able to get out from. We're talking about like really stricter religions like that. Um, do we see a lot of people getting out? I wonder if they are leaving in the same rates that we're seeing mm-hmm. other mm-hmm. religions leaving. I don't I don't I don't know. I'll find out more. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, I have a question. It wasn't on the Google Doc, so if you're not comfortable answering, answering, that's okay. Like we can cut this part out. But you know, as somebody who um, also experienced a lot of religious trauma from a what I consider a strict religion, um, mm-hmm. I feel sometimes like like we all have biases, right? And like I feel like I have a huge bias towards. Um, more rigid. I like the wording you use, Sheikah, around that, like more rigid religions. And so I feel like sometimes when, you know, with clients, I guess maybe it's like all biases, but like with clients, sometimes I'm like, 
ooh, like, are you sure? Like, that is real. like, that is, that is hard. In my opinion, that's harmful. And I guess it's just like an overall, mm-hmm. like, therapisting that we deal with. But specifically with a religion, like having, like you said, a similar wound, do you f- ever find it hard um, to be like, okay, like, I think that's harmful, but maybe you don't think it's harmful. Do you know what I'm trying to ask? Yes. Yes. Okay. I know what you're saying. And I know, and I'm, I know, I know the feeling of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so whether I can put it in words, sometimes it doesn't, sometimes it, it becomes clear that it's not the right fit. Um, I do my best obviously to kind of keep those biases, mm-hmm. um, out of the, the therapeutic relationship as best as I can. Um, and some, and sometimes when it's not the right fit with the person, it just kind of shakes out and they, they feel it. <laughs> um, I feel it. So it's really kind of, as we can look at it and is there a workaround? Um, but yes, I feel that sometimes, but that's also like people's individual right to have different Absolutely. values than I have. And that, but it, I think to me, it becomes like, am I just repeating what I grew up with, with different words and in a different way. Like I'm also not trying to indoctrinate everybody with the way that I have decided to live at this point. Doesn't mean that I think I haven't figured it out. (laughs) Um, So they're allowed to be in a different place and we're all on different levels of all this work. I think it's also important. Like, I just want to jump in and say that I think it's Mm -hmm. important that we explore a person's attachment to that, because I know in my own experience of going through my own cultural and, you know, religious experiences was like, I can't just, you know, if I were to meet a therapist and they were, they were to, you know, say, Hey, like, let's forget everything you've known. It goes back to like, these are things that have at some point felt safe and secure and they were what is known. And so out here, if we're talking about cultural and religious trauma, especially the religious piece, I don't think it's, you know, fair to be like, we're anti-religion or like anti any of, because in reality, we're not, we can see the benefit of, you know, community and safety and spirituality and connection to God and and those things that are actually very important for people. So it's more so again, going back to that, like, well, how has it hurt you? Because there, maybe there are parts that help, but it's not, it doesn't have to be so black and white, like we talked about before. Um, because people still, people still want that connection sometimes, or they, you know, choose to have it in their own way, like through spirituality or, you know, other forms. But yeah, I think when we even, even, you know, I, I imagine just like talking about religious trauma, people are like, oh no, like, you're going to take my beliefs from me. It's like, no, 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 yeah. you keep them, right. hold on to them. But there might be some that you want to look at. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Like so, as therapists, you're not there to tell people that their beliefs are wrong. No, mm-hmm. no, no. And I'm, I'm so glad I asked that question, even though it felt uncomfortable to ask, because I really appreciate both of um, your answers around like, yeah, I'm, I'm not trying to indoctrinate you, indoctrinate you with my beliefs. And also, it doesn't have to be black and white, right? Like we've been saying, like, it, you know, you can keep some that you resonate with, and you can also look and maybe let go or separate the ones that you don't resonate. But yeah, it's not our mm-hmm. job to tell you what's wrong. And what's right that's we're, we're here to help you help guide you but not to tell you in any aspect whether it's religious cultural you know anything um even outside of that what's right or what's wrong because that is again kind of going back to well that's what we you know some people grew up with in their religion religion right so definitely not something we want to do in therapy but just kind of right. sitting and with- i 
the, your own oh, uncomfortableness. No, go ahead. Well, I was just curious to know if they're, you know, kind of where the intersection of cultural and religious trauma can overlap. Because I was just thinking, you know, I've lived in different cities and different states throughout my life. And I've definitely noticed in some places there is more of a cultural and religious connection. For example, I'll know, I'll live in Wisconsin and everybody here that I know goes to church. And then I've also lived in other places and different regions where, you know, maybe I had a couple friends that did, but religion wasn't really a hot topic. It wasn't really something that was prioritized in their life. So maybe in regions, for example, like the American South, where, you know, the Bible Belt, where it's very heavily Christian, do we kind of see that cultural and the religious overlap in those areas where it's very ingrained in the culture to be within a certain dominant religion? I think, I think so. Um, as someone who moved from North Jersey to the South recently, um, and seeing lots of churches and being in the Bible Belt, um, there's definitely a different, a different culture and, and there's plenty. And, and I grew up religiously in North Jersey. So it's not to say that there isn't that going on there. Uh, but it, yeah, I think the cultural and religious piece is, is really strongly tied around in this area. At least I can, and speak, can speak to that is where it's mm -hmm. just a lot more kind of commonplace for people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think it's really helpful to just look individually and I and I, I'm speaking more in the reference and the framework of ethnic cultures and so like I was raised I am you know Indian and I grew up in America and there's so many intersectionalities there but so much of my culture was also informed by religion um, and so it gets kind of there is so much overlap there um, and then also just looking at it generationally how much that shifts too right like so if I'm looking at you know, my grandparents' generation, my parents' generation, my own, like how, how much of it has shifted where like, I feel like there are a lot of people within, you know, my generation of being, you know, first generation or just, I think we like pick and choose or this place of like pick and choose what we, what we want to keep, what we want to hold, what we want to continue to practice. Um, whereas like that, that shifts all around the country. I find like, um, you know, where there might be, I've seen this come up oftentimes where there's like less of maybe an Indian population, people may feel like they need to, you know, strongly stick to the cultural norms and values because this is the way we preserve versus I grew up in what I call like Brown town, like in Brown town, New Jersey, where, you know, everyone was, so many people are Indian and it was like, oh, well, it's okay if I don't go to that event, there'll be one like next week or, you know, it's all right if I skip this, like it'll be there. And so I think it just depends on each person and like relative to where people are in the country. But when it comes to those like very, very ethnic based cultures, there's so much overlap with religion. Um, and so it, it's even been hard for me to tease out sometimes. I'm like, wait, did that come from religion or is that just tradition? And, you know, what my family's taught me or what like I've learned within, you know, this cultural norm. So mm -hmm. even when I work with people, I like feel like I sit down and I tease that out for a while. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I feel like, like you said, it is interesting. It's so interwoven. Like, what did I learn from a cultural standpoint? What is from the religious aspect? What kind of got, you know, blurred in between there? So thanks for answering that question. That, that was something that was really interesting to me, having lived in different places within the U.S. and just seeing kind of those, you know, cultural 
differences between um, even just, you know, living in different cities throughout the Midwest. I found that it was so different, people's beliefs and kind of how they, you know, treated people that maybe were a certain religion or weren't or did go to church or didn't go to church and that type of thing. Yeah, I mean, I feel like I grew up with that. And as a young adult in New Jersey, got a lot of like, oh, where do you go to church? And then that became like a trigger for me once I kind of left church. And I was like, and I had a lot of people asking, but like, oh, well, where do you go to church now? And I'm like, well, I don't. And then I kind of like had a period where no one really asked me because I was in just that adult phase and I moved down here. And it, and it just became, it was part of the conversation. Well, where do you go to church? Mm-hmm. Oh, I don't. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm still wow. I'm answering this again. And it's bringing up stuff in me. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, it's interesting how in certain... Right. It's interesting how in certain places, that's just a common question that you ask people, like how you ask people, you know, what do you do for work or what's your job? Oh, what church do you go to? And in some places, like you would probably never think to ask somebody that you have just met for the first time that question. Right. Talk about that guilt getting like, whoa, (laughs) no, Mm -hmm. I didn't find a church. Right. (laughs) I wasn't even looking for one. (laughs) <laughs> right. Like, how are you going to judge me based on if I say yes or no, or where I go or whatever my answer may be? <laughs> mm-hmm. It's also complex, right? The intersectionality between um, religion and culture, and then just those two separately yes. and the different identities we have as humans. And that's why, like, you know, it's awesome that um, you you know, both of you focus a lot on that work and um, give provide a space for people to work through the complexities of it all. And um, Anna, I know you mentioned you're starting a group. Do you want to tell us about that before we wrap up? Yeah, sure. I'd love to. Um, sometime in November, it'll be a four-week therapy group. Um, so for residents of New Jersey and North Carolina, um, it'll be virtual and it is called HURT. Um, So it stands for Healing Unprocessed Religious Trauma. So we'll be doing four weeks of work that includes education um, just on what is is religious trauma, like we've talked about, um, so that people can, who are interested, can explore some of that within their own experience. Um, It can be from any religion. So I know we talked, my background is Christian, um, but I am kind of making it hopefully to encompass any kind of religion um, that someone may have grown up in. Um, and like Sheikah said, it is, it's not anti-religion by any means, um, and we're not, but just providing a space in a group for people to look at how they grew up, look at some of those stories, um, doing, using a tool called narrative therapy, where they take some of those stories from the religion um, or from their family that they maybe grew up with that had a lot of those heavy values in there, um, and writing down that story and then rewriting the story in a way that encompasses values that they either do embody right now or want to embody um, and creating that different story for themselves um, quite literally. And then again, exploring that meaning in a group. Um, And then I'll be offering and doing some Reiki and energy work in the group as well to support people um, energetically and spiritually so that those people, if they want to explore any kind of spirituality, usually there are some blockages um, when we grow up with religious trauma. 
So being able to identify what those blockages are, and then I'll just be providing that kind of additional support um, to help identify the blockages and um, do some work to clear it. Um, and then again, just a lot of processing time for people to work through that and have those other people in the group be able to identify, you know, hey, me too, hey, yes, and this is what I do. So hopefully people being to, able to connect to other people um, through healing, wanting healing around that trauma. That sounds amazing. I'm excited for you and all the uh, group members who get to experience that. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll be sharing a little bit more um, in the next few weeks through October. And then, like Anna said, the group will be starting about like mid, early, oh, mid to early to mid November. So, you know, if people are interested, they can follow us on social media and just, uh, you know, keep up to date. We'll be definitely releasing a lot more information and registration and all the good stuff around that. But we are definitely excited and um, just to hold that space for people. Yes, absolutely. And you guys are an amazing resource to follow on Instagram. So as always, you know, we'll drop all your handles, your website, all that good stuff down in the show notes. So please make sure to follow their Instagram and keep getting all those amazing resources. So thank you guys so, so much for joining us today. I love the conversation and Hopefully some people can find some great value in it and start, you know, exploring these things for themselves and just staying informed. So again, thanks for hanging out with us today. Thank you for having us. Love being back. And I'm excited to share this with other people. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely.